0: Lovely to see so many of you out this morning. I just wonder why it is only at Christmas or around Christmas, particularly you gentlemen, that you feel the liberty to wear these shirts. I love it. So much colour. It's a statement, isn't it? It's a statement that says, Joy to the world. I'm wearing whatever I want to wear and I don't care. <laughs> Well done to you all. Well done. We should, we should do that every week, shouldn't we? Every week should be Christmas. That would be wonderful. Our Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Our English language is, I'm told, and many of you who don't have English as your first language Uh, You will will probably understand this, that it's it's a very, very difficult language to learn, to get get a hold of, and to understand um, how it it all works uh, in terms of its construction, its spelling shifts, and even the stress that we put on various syllables. For instance, um, we all live at an address, but we address each other by name. Hmm, it's just the stress on that syllable that denotes the meaning. Well, how about two, two and two? Oh, that's a favourite of mine. Well, spelling takes care of the meaning when it's written, but which one when it's spoken? I don't know about you, but I've been struggling recently. Facebook posts have been almost undecipherable just the way people are writing these days. Takes me half an hour to figure out what it is they're trying to say and then take grammar out of the situation. Oh my goodness. It's tough gig. I found an excerpt uh, from a poem online describing these difficulties of the construction of the English language. Listen to this. We speak of a brother and also of brethren. We, (coughs) excuse me, but though we say mother, we never say metherin. The masculine pronouns are he, his, and him. But imagine the feminine of she, shiz, and shim. So our English, I think you all will agree, is the craziest language you ever did see. I take it you already know. Of tough and bow and cough and dough. And others may stumble, but not you, on hiccough and thorough and slough and through. I just about struggled on that myself just then. Can you see the problem that we're having? Well, I'm sure it's no surprise to find that one of these words, which English really struggles to define, as we try to express our desire for uh, or appreciation of a particular thing um, or an activity or a person, is that word love, 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 love. Today, we're looking to light our final Advent candle. We've already looked at hope and peace and joy. But now as we sit on the eve of Christmas, our attention is firmly fixed on this notion of love. But what really am I talking about? You see, I I love my wife. (laughs) I also love apple pie and I love sleeping in on Saturdays. I do love God. I also love to go bushwalking. Well, fortunately for us, we have that original language to help us to navigate this interpretation process. And and many of you may already know, some of you may not. How many different types of Greek do we have for the word love? Four? Any advance on four? There's eight. Now, most of you know three, right? There's eight different types of, uh, of, of um, reference to a type of love. They represent different types of love or different aspects of love. But it's crucial for us uh, to rightly understand what the writer of the Scripture says, or really means when he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that all who should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, as we look at love and all of its implications, I want us this morning to be able to clearly understand love's definition, love's origin, love's purpose, and we'll also see today that love Real divine love requires from us a response. It's a good thing that the oversight have given me 45 minutes to speak this morning, isn't it? Oh, I saw a few twitches then. Well, the reason it's so important to correctly define this term love is that whatever our determination of that question, it will ultimately shape our theology, our understanding of God. And it's our theology of who God is and what he is like which forms those building blocks of who we worship as God. Defining this rather nebulous, this imprecise, hard-to-grasp, hold-of concept of love is nigh on impossible without some firm guidelines, some, if you like, rules of engagement. Now, as you will have heard from this pulpit many, many times when reading Scripture, Context is key. In other words, we can only rightly understand a passage when we interpret it from within the context it's written. It's, if you like, its given setting. For example, the lion in in, in Daniel's den is not the same lion as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Different context altogether. As I mentioned earlier, there, is, there are, uh, in the word of God, a number of variations to this expression, love. But the highest form, and without doubt, the one which I think informs our understanding most about God, who he is, and his character, is the love known as agape love, agapeo love. This love is defined as being selfless and a universal love a love which is incomprehensible it's unconditional it's boundless in compassion and infinite in its empathy for all perhaps one of the best known definitions christians can bring to memory or remember is uh, that wonderful definition of love that we read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things love never ends so then what then is the original or oh, sorry the origin of this unimaginably extravagant, this selfless affection, this intense benevolence that God has for his people. 1 John 4 tells us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So this love is simply who God is. John's gospel and also his letters to the churches, first, uh, second and third John, they're marked by the amount of content John writes here about the love of God and 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 what that looks like. First John 4:16 says, so we." have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. John tells us that God is not just loving, though he is, but that he is the actual embodiment of, and source of complete and pure love true love then is divine in both its content and its origin actually love is also one of attribute that marks the triune nature of god's character that divine love composed the very environment by which the triune God had eternal fellowship in eternity past and will in eternity future. John delights to write of in terms of the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father. He records these words in John 10 and 17. He says, for this reason, The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Perhaps here, more than any other place, we can see how this agape love, this divine love, reveals its purpose or outworking. You see, Love must never be thought of only in terms of it being an emotional state or an outward expression. But rather, we as we look to Scripture, we can see that true, self-sacrificing love reveals itself. And, and, and it's manifest in more than just words and good wishes. You see those posts when they, you know, someone's lost someone or they had something bad happened, or sending good wishes, you know, thinking nice thoughts. This divine love is much, much, much more than that. First John 4.10 says, In this is love. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he Loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation that is the substitute, if you like, for our sins. You see, God's love did something. Perhaps the most staggering example of God's love. In action, certainly in salvation history, is found in John three sixteen, that wonderful passage that we read earlier. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, God's love drove Him to action. The imperishable truth of God's love was in that baby. And it's the great and unfathomable love which broke into humanity's story in the form of the baby boy born to a virgin in Bethlehem. Where's that cradle gone? There it is. Representing, of course, the manger. We read in Matthew 1 and 21... The angel said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Dave's going to talk about names tonight. The, way, the name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. It's clearly stated in God's word, and recorded through revealed history, that Jesus Christ died on an old wooden cross. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, left the splendor of heaven. We sing that song, don't we? He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was the, how's it go? The old Come on, you know that song. The Lonely Cross, Hill of, of, thank you, Earl. The Lonely Hill of Golgotha. He laid down his life for me. You see, he came to take on humanity. And in that state of human identity, he bore the full wrath of God against all sin on behalf of all humanity. Now, you might say, well, how is God a loving God? If he punishes his own son for a sinful world, kind of doesn't add up, does it? Well, to answer that, you have to really understand and accept that God is not only loving, and he is, but he is also completely holy and righteous that means that he can neither sin nor can he allow sin to go unpunished. And the word of God is very clear about what that penalty or punishment is. Ezekiel 18 tells us that the the soul that sins will surely die. Well, if you're a soul today, and you are, and I know you've sinned, So we're all come under that same condemnation of death. That is the curse of sin. The soul who sins will surely die. Well, back in Genesis, we find the account of man's fall. Where Adam and Eve were deceived, they were hoodwinked to uh, doubt God's word to them. Ever since that fall from grace, God has been actively implementing his rescue plan for humanity. That plan was for God himself to become a man, to humble himself and step down from his glory. And though he remained God, he took on the form of sinful humanity by being born of a virgin in Bethlehem. But you know what? That by itself, as great a feat as it was, did nothing to help humanity. It was just another baby born. Until that plan came to fulfillment, 33 years later on that old Roman cross, you see, God's love for humanity was manifest in his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life on our behalf and then died a sinner's death on our behalf. And so, that curse of death brought about uh, through that first sinful rebellion by Adam and Eve might be destroyed, and that men and women could, by faith and believing in Jesus Christ and his gift, by accepting that wonderful free gift of loving forgiveness, they could be saved redeemed, restored, brought back into fellowship with God as had been God's original purpose for humanity. We begin to see now, I think, how love is so much more than just a squishy, mushy, feel-good emotion, which is subject to the ebb and flow of the circumstances of life. Love is a self-sacrificing determination to act benevolently towards the object of our affection. A lot of words in there, I know. Don Francisco put it this way. Love's not an emotion. It's an act of the will. Love's not an emotion. It's a determination from deep within you. Love is a pledge to serve another willingly, gladly, and unconditionally. Love then becomes an active expression of an inner commitment. To live, think, and act as far as it is possible for, human, for fallen humanity to act. As God would. So this morning we've looked at love's definition, love's origin, love's purpose. But now we come to our final point. And I see you all brighten up. Love calls for a response. We've discovered that this type of divine love, this agape love to which we aspire, is not passive, but rather it's an active and motivating force for godliness. And so love does indeed demand of us a response. God responded to man's fall by sending his only son, We've read that in John 3.16. What response then does God desire of us to his extravagant gift of love through Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf? Well, the first, it's very simple. Believe. Simply by, by faith, trusting in Christ... So that you will know that salvation. And secondly, as a child of God, to live in such a way that shows you are a part of God's family. And we do that by obeying his word. His commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. You're sensing a bit of a pattern here? (laughs) And his commandments are not burdensome. On John 2, verse 5, but whoever keeps his word... In him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. But of course we need to understand that all of these calls for obedience and doing what the word of God says is not an activity to somehow endear ourselves to God. To curry favor with God. But rather, out of his abundant love and grace, we simply reflect his love for us. And our love for God is demonstrated through our obedience to his word. Let me conclude this morning with two scriptures that I think brings absolute focus and clarity uh, about uh, Jesus' salvation mission. And one that demands from each one of us that response. You see, one end we have the cradle and the other we have the cross. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then 33 years later, but God shows, he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see... These two scriptures, they bookend God's plan of salvation. Cradle to cross. What's the real message of Christmas? God loves you. And He wants you to respond to His love this morning. Jesus is the gift. Will you receive him? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, as we came, as we come together this morning. We've we've come to worship and honor you, to, to hear from your word and, and to to sing these songs. But ultimately, Lord, we want to confess our need of you. Every hour, Lord, we need thee. Father, as we look into our hearts. We see that emptiness. We see that inability to live that godly life that you require of us without you. Fill us, Lord, for those who don't yet know you, who have not yet put their trust and faith in you. I pray this morning, draw them Father, by your Holy Spirit. Let them sense, your love, your deep and abiding love for them. I pray that they will respond to your love. Lord, by laying down their own desires and wills, that they will set them aside and say, Lord, have your will and way in my life today. And Lord, for us who know you, I pray, Lord, help us to demonstrate your love to this world. Help us to live a consistent life of love. How will they know that you are my disciples? By the love we have one for another. Fill our hearts with your love again this day, Father, we pray. And give us the courage to respond in Jesus' name. Amen.